Last Sunday, we asked the question, what Jesus are you following? Are you following the Jesus that you have put in your mind of what you want Him to be? Or are you following the real Jesus, the one that we read about in the New Testament, the one that has a standard that you and I are to live by? As I mentioned, there was a college professor that had a class on Jesus of Nazareth, and he would ask his students on on the first day of class, he gave them a test, and on the first half of the test, he asked them what they thought Jesus really wanted to do. And they asked, did they think Jesus was a worrier? Did Jesus do what He wanted to do, or did He have to do something else? And then on the second half of the question, or the test, they asked the question, they asked the exact same questions with the exception of, are you a worrier? Do you do what you want to do? And the result was phenomenal, the instructor said, because most people had a Jesus that was just like their answers. He fit their mold. In fact, what they were doing, or what many of us do, is we look at Jesus and we make Jesus into what we want Him to be. And Jesus has a standard for us to follow. And I know that it's a little into the year, but sometimes we make commitments. And I know that there are some that don't want to make commitments because perhaps it's because... They've made commitments in the past and they didn't live up to that standard that they had set for themselves. And sometimes we make it to the end of of January. Sometimes we make it into February before we go back to our old ways. But I want us to make a commitment that we're going to follow Jesus Christ. this, This morning I want to look at four different areas that we need to talk about, that we need to look at in our lives because I think that's a problem that sometimes we deal with. And we've talked quite a bit about forgiveness and things of that nature that are attached to that, to, to that uh, topic in our Sunday morning Bible class. And I want to elaborate a little bit more on that this morning. So one of the things that I would like for us to think about committing ourselves to is to forget our failures. When we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he persecuted the church. He consented to the death of individuals that were Christians, God's people. And he went about collecting those people, gathering those people, so he could deliver them to be put in prison or to have whatever happened happen to them. And on some occasions, he consented to their death. We know that at at the death of Stephen, when he was stoned to death, that Paul was there. Saul at the time was what his name was. Saul of Tarsus. And if you read on further into Acts chapter 8, you can see that he made havoc of the church. He tried to destroy God's people. He tried to destroy the New Testament church. People that were following the real Jesus he wanted to destroy. But yet we see that the gospel was offered to him and that he was able to obey that gospel. And when he did, his sins were forgiven. All of his past was done away with. And that's something that we have as Christians where we've gone down into that watery grave of baptism and we come up out of that water and that slate's been wiped clean. We're a new creature, a new person in Christ Jesus. And it all takes place because of the blood of Christ. He washes our sins away in His blood. And through our act of faith, we are obedient to His will and we accept the grace that He's extended to us. 
And so if there was anyone that had a past, certainly the Apostle Paul had a past. But listen to what he tells us in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I think all of us, when we look back at our lives, we can see that we have failed. We may not have done some of the things that the Apostle Paul did, but sometimes as parents, we fail our children. And sometimes as children, we fail our parents. And sometimes we fail ourselves when we sin and we give in to temptation. And those are failures that we deal with in this life. And there are many others that we could mention, but we don't have time to mention all the failures that we could come up with. But God's Word is saying here in this passage that we must not allow ourselves to be bogged down on our failures. That we cannot constantly dwell on those things. Do we forget them? Well, no, we don't forget them. But we move on. And I believe that the Apostle Paul, when he looked back at his life, he remembered those things that he did because he eventually says that he's the chief of sinners. He realized that he had done some awful things. But what does he say? He forgets those things. He don't dwell on those things. He presses on. He moves forward. God does not want us to go through life branding ourselves as failures. And that is what we would be if we continue to live that sinful life. And God has wiped that slate clean if we've obeyed His Gospel. And we're not to dwell on those things in the past. And when we become Christians, that forgiveness becomes a reality in our lives. And when we receive God's forgiveness, it allows us to put those failures behind us and move forward. It is very hard to move forward if you're constantly looking back. We were watching a football game not too long ago. Somebody had made a law. They'd thrown the ball a long ways and the guy's running, headed toward the goal. And you see all these other guys coming up behind him and he keeps looking back at them. We're thinking, just head for the goal. Don't look back. Because every time you look back, whether you like to admit or not, it's going to slow you down some. And when we're looking back, it slows us down in the progress that we should be making as a Christian. So take care of those failures, take care of those problems, and move on. That's what God is telling us that He wants us to do. And we need to make things right. That's one of the ways that we deal with the past is we make things right. If we've done something to someone, we try to correct it. Sometimes we can't correct it. As we mentioned in Bible class, sometimes people have passed away and you can't straighten it up with that individual. So do you dwell on it? No. You move on. You ask God to forgive you. If you've done something you know that you've done is wrong, you ask God to forgive you. Maybe there's some here today that need to ask God to forgive them. Maybe God has forgiven them. You need to trust God that He has done what He says that He would do when He says that He will remove your transgressions or sin as far as the east is from the west. He tells us that in Psalms chapter 103. In verse 12, that's a long ways. 
That's how far God removes that sin. So trust Him. That if you've done some things in the past that you regret, you 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 know it was sinful, and you've rectified, you've done what God's told you to do to have that sin taken away, then trust God that it has been forgiven and that that slate is clean. Don't be like the guy in the picture. Continue to carry that baggage around with you. Commit today to leave that those failures behind. The second commitment that I would like for us to think about and make is give up your grudges. Now, I have a picture on the screen there of an individual who kind of has a voodoo doll. Now, it's not because I believe in voodoo, but my... When I think about those voodoo dolls, I always think about programs that I've seen in the past. If I remember right, Leave It to Beaver had a a, a, a voodoo doll one time, and it was Eddie Haskell. And he stuck a pin in it, and Eddie Haskell started having some pain. And I used a voodoo doll because usually what we do is that with a voodoo doll, what do you do? You didn't see that person pull it out and say, hey, look, I got one. They would always be behind a tree doing it or in a room where that person wasn't doing it. And that person that they were voodooing didn't know that they were being voodooed. And that's what we do sometimes. I've seen Christians that go up to somebody and say, Hey, how you doing? Good, so glad to see you. And turn right around and stab them in the back. Wouldn't stab them to their face, but to turn around and talk about them. So we don't believe in voodoo dolls, but we kind of do what they do with those voodoo dolls. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Because I believe God wants us to rise to His standard, to a higher standard than the world has. And if we do, we'll find that this verse is a significant turning point. Because listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. For bearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel... Now, some translations have complaints or have done you wrong or some other word. But if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. God is challenging us here directly and personally to give up our grudges. That's what it means here when He says to forgive each other. Whatever complaint, quarrel, grievance, whatever word you use there, that you may have against someone else. A grudge is a deep, ongoing resentment that we cultivate in our minds and in our hearts against someone else. A grudge is an unforgiving spirit that leads to an unforgiving attitude and unforgiving actions. Does anybody here have grudges? You see, harboring a grudge is like nursing a dislike of someone. That's what it is. You're nursing that in your own mind and in your heart. And what we need to realize is that grudges are dangerous. And that they can be destructive. Because grudges can destroy marriages. Grudges can destroy families. 
Grudges can destroy friendships. And grudges can destroy a church. Splits happen in congregations because someone has a grudge. And if you know you're holding a grudge against someone, then God has something to say to you. And that is let go. Let it go. There's no reason to hold a grudge. And I think that we need to be honest with ourselves. Because are we in the closet with that voodoo doll? You know, like poking it. Saying, oh, I wish brother so-and-so. Ooh, ooh, I wish it bad on them. We have to be honest with ourselves. Because there's so many ways that we can deceive ourselves into thinking that, oh, what I'm doing is okay. What I'm thinking about this individual is okay. It's justified when it's not. God wants us to let go. Give it up. And I want to remind you that grudges are not just destructive. They are also self-destructive. I had an individual tell me one time that somebody had disrespected his wife and he was very upset with that individual. He wanted to kill that individual. And he told me that he got outside of that man's bedroom window. That guy was laying in bed and he had his gun and he had it out and he had it aimed right at the individual and was ready to pull the trigger before he changed his mind. Now that's a true story. That's what a grudge would do. It can destroy you. And it can destroy someone else. If you keep harboring grudges, you may not go to that extent, but eventually it destroys you, if not physically, certainly emotionally and spiritually. It will make you a bitter and twisted person. There are people who have no happiness at all. They live and they die with bitter hearts. Think about it. Is that the way you would like to be remembered in this life? Is that the way you would want your children to remember you? Your grandchildren? Your friends? That you were a bitter, angry person because of something that happened to you in your past. God says, let it go. You recall the parable of Jesus about the servant who was forgiven a huge debt, but yet refused to forgive someone else of a very small, tiny debt that was owed him. Jesus says that that unforgiving spirit landed him in prison. It was delivered to the tormentors until He could pay. And really, isn't that what happens when we hold a grudge against someone? We put ourselves in a prison. And we torment ourselves while that person may be going around as happy as a, as a lark. But you're, you, you put yourself in a prison. If you're an unforgiving person, you will always end up in prison. The prison of anger, bitterness, guilt, depression. And according to God's Word, 
The way we give up a grudge is to forgive. And it's really just that simple. He's not asking you to ignore what someone's done to you. He's not asking you to pretend that it didn't happen. He doesn't ask you to condone it. He doesn't ask you to pretend that it doesn't even matter. God asks you to forgive. And that means to acknowledge how wrong and painful what was done to you was, but to forgive that person who did it. The real Jesus is hard to follow, isn't it? Sometimes that's hard to do. Some may need to forgive a grievance they have against their parents for what they did or they didn't do. Some might have to forgive their children for something that they've done. And some need to forgive their spouse because of something that's happened in the past. And some need to give up a grudge against someone at work because of the way that they were treated. And some need to give up a grudge that stems from an argument that they had with someone. Or give up a grudge that they have with a church member over something that's happened long ago. What better time to make that decision to forgive than right now? To let go and let God take care of it. Don't tell God you can't do it. Because what that really means is you won't do it. That's what that really means. Because God doesn't ask us to do anything that we cannot do. He knows what we're capable of doing. Remember, He's the Creator. We're made in His image. He knows that we can be a forgiving people. So if Christ can forgive us our sins, despite the fact that it cost Him His life on the cross, then we should be able to forgive others. But the question is, will you do it? third point is this. Commit to restore your relationships. Sometimes that's hard to do. And I think the Lord realizes that that's hard to do. It's not because it's impossible, but for some, it's not going to happen. Look at this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. Paul says, If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. By using that phrase, God, I think, is personally challenging each one of us to do all that we can, all that we can, to restore that relationship that may have gone wrong in our lives. And some relationships might have gone wrong because of what others have done, what other people have done to us. And they might not want that relationship restored. And that's when it's impossible sometimes. And that's why I believe the passage says, as much as lieth in you. Don't be the reason that that relationship is broken. Do all that you can to restore that relationship. Now, the other person may not want it restored. Now, don't look at them and say, oh, I already know that's what they would want. 
Because I know we're all mind readers in here. We can read everybody's mind. The only one I know that was a mind reader was the real Jesus. He could read people's thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. Sometimes we think we know what they're thinking. Don't be the problem. Let's be honest. Some of our relationships have gone wrong because of what we have done. When God's Word says, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men, He is saying, if you've caused a rift in the relationship, then you have a responsibility to do everything you can to restore it. That everything includes one thing we all probably find most difficult, and that is asking for forgiveness. Sounds so easy, but yet sometimes it's so hard. God is saying that this is the right time to restore the ruined relationships by going and sincerely saying that you you are sorry for whatever it is that you've done. And make no mistake, it will be hard, it will be tough, it will be difficult. But I believe it's something that's important for us to do. Don't be the problem. Now sometimes there are people out there, when you're doing what's right, you're going to be a problem. Remember, Jesus did everything that was right. And they crucified Him. Paul was doing things that were right and they stoned Him. Peter did what was right and he was crucified upside down, they say. And so people aren't always going to get along with you when you're trying to do what's right. But as much as lieth in you, in you live peaceably with all men. Will you rise to that challenge? And commit to your to restore your broken relationships today, this year. Fourth point is commit to turning your back on besetting sins. During the Civil War, when the war was over, slaves were set free. And many slaves decided to stay with their masters. They were set free, but they chose to continue to serve their master that they had over the course of time. The New Testament says that that's exactly how Christians choose to live. You see, you might look at that slave and you might say, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want to go free? Why wouldn't you want to get out of that situation? Why wouldn't you want to leave and, and do what you wanted to do? And we look at something like that and we say, how could that happen? But yet, as Christians we've been set free from sin. But don't we still allow sin to master our lives, be the master of our lives sometimes? John chapter 8, verse 36, Christ died to set us free. But just like those former slaves, many Christians choose to obey the master of sin as opposed to obeying the real Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, it says, let, no sin, or let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. When God says 
for us to not let sin control the way we live and not give in to its evil desires, He's challenging us to turn away from our sin. And when I talk about besetting sin, what I'm talking about is sins that are Christian are but prone to commit from time to time. It's sins that maybe we don't look at it as so bad or we just say that's human nature, that's the way we are. And so we gossip, we lie, we cheat, we do things that we shouldn't do. We know we shouldn't do them, but we excuse them in our lives. And I'm sure that you can think of things in your life that maybe you do that you know you shouldn't do, and you do them over and over and over, and you're constantly asking God to forgive you. Most of us, when we became a Christian, we gave up certain things. Certain sins that we we knew was wrong. I've known people that have given up drinking, swearing, and many other things that we look at and we can obviously see that we shouldn't be doing. But when it comes to saying things that hurt, being a gossiper, being a person that constantly loses their temper, those are besetting sins. We know they're wrong, but we have a hard time giving them up. Many times we end up yielding to that temptation, yielding to those besetting sins. And maybe that's how you've lived in the past, constantly defeated by those old sins. Things that you're constantly asking the Lord to forgive you for. I know, Lord, I shouldn't have said that. I know, Lord, I shouldn't have thought that. I know, Lord, I shouldn't have looked at that. I know, Lord, I I, I shouldn't have done that. But I did. And we do it over and over and over and over. I'm almost afraid to ask... How many people here have ever watched Dr. Pimple Popper? I thought I might be the only one. That's a disgusting show. But I watch it on occasion. And I watched it enough to know that there are some people that come in there with some very huge growth on their body. They may have it coming out of their neck. Or off of their head, their forehead. It's obvious to everybody. Or something on a leg. And they're asked, how long have you had this? Well, I've had this a long time. I've had this for years. I've had it from when I was a kid. And I think, why didn't you get rid of it? <laughs> well, I just... And Dr. Pimple Popper asks that sometimes. And they say, we just learned to live with it. We look at something like that and we say, how could you just learn to live with this other head that's growing out of your neck? How could you just live with that? The same way we live with those besetting sins. Things that we know we shouldn't do. But we go ahead and do them. Is our spiritual life crippled because we have learned to live with those sins that so easily beset us? 
Do we have a quick temper that constantly erupts? Do we have a tongue that loves to assassinate people, destroy their character, and wound their feelings? Or is there some other sin that we continually give into? You see, God challenges us to turn our backs on those besetting sins. He don't want us to learn to just live with them. Just like we look at that patient in Dr. Pimple Popper's office and say, why don't you get rid of that? That's what we need to do with the besetting sins that are in our life. We need to just get rid of them. God says you're no longer a slave to sin. So don't act like you're a slave to sin. Don't excuse it and say, well, that's just my nature. That's just the way I am. That's just what I do. Everybody knows that's the way I am. Well, if you change, everybody will know that you're a different person too. And they might see Christ living in you. So the question is, are you willing to make those commitments? Are you willing to forget your past failures? Are you willing to give up those grudges? Are you willing to restore your relationships? And are you willing to turn your back on those besetting sins that hinder us in running that Christian race? We have a new year. But I think it's good to do these things anytime because there's no day like today. And really, right now is all we have. We have no promise of tomorrow or next year or I'll change someday. The day you should change is today. And I ask that you have the courage to do it today. But if God has forgiven you, then you need to trust Him and forget about the past. You need to forgive others who have hurt you and forgive any grievance that you may have. And let go of it. And let God take care of it. And ask to forgive those you have hurt. And as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And ask God's forgiveness. And no longer be a slave to those besetting sins. With God's help, He'll give us the strength to overcome. We just need to trust Him. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to become one. Do that by being obedient to His Gospel, by being buried with our Lord in baptism, to have your sins washed away by His precious blood, to rise up to walk in newness of life. And as we've said earlier, all that's gone done away with. All your past is, is done away with. Sins are washed away. And you got a new clean slate. Keep it that way. Strive to the best of your ability to live that Christian life, to be faithful to our Lord, and commit to following the real Jesus, not the one you may conjure up in your mind. And make Him the way you want Him to be. Make yourself be the way He wants you to be. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.